start using cutting-edge warp speed 5G technology with your cell phone. Let me tell you about my friends at MobileMobile.io. They have an ultra-fast 4G LTE and 5G network that covers 99% of Americans. So they've got you covered everywhere. Think about it for a moment. You have the opportunity to take a test drive for 10 days with unlimited talk, text, and premium data. What is premium data? Premium data is an allotment of a cellular data that you receive from a higher priority on the network. You won't get throttled like you will with some of those, well, non-brand service providers. To find out more information, all you have to do is go to mobilemobile.io. That's mobilemobile.io to start your 10-day free trial. Broadcasting live from the Safety FM studios in Orlando, Florida. Here is your host, Dr. Jay Allen on Safety FM. This episode of the broadcast and the podcast is brought to you by Safety Focus Moment. They're consultants that want to help you get the safety culture you've been looking for. For more information, go to safetyfocusmoment.com. Hello and welcome to Safety FM. This is Jay Allen. Well, I hope you are having an exciting week. This is a very exciting day for me. I have the opportunity to interview one of the heroes of human and organizational performance. But before we get to that, let's have a brief conversation. There's been some questions coming about in regards of the internet radio station. And yes, that is exactly what it is. It's an internet radio station. So if you go to safetyfm.com, there's a link that says listen now. You can click on it and it'll start playing the radio station or you can go to safetyfm.live and that will automatically give you the streaming instantly. You don't have to click on anything. Once you actually go onto the website, it'll go. The other options that are available there, go to the Apple App Store and download the Safety FM app. Or you can go to the Google Play Store and download the Safety FM app from there. And of course, we're available on the Alexa skill. So we're giving you multiple opportunities to be able to listen to our streaming service. We're doing a lot more there on the streaming service now. And what I want you to focus on is as you're listening to the streaming service, we do pop in live from time to time. We have keynote speeches. We have coming from the road. So we are available at all times. And we do some interviews from time to time with people on the road. So if you get the opportunity, go ahead and download the app or come to safetyfm.com or safetyfm.live. But let's not linger any longer. Tony Mashera is a specialist in the field of human error risk management for mostly industrialized enterprises. Tony is the author of Risk-Based Thinking, Managing the Uncertainty of Human Error in Operations. Before starting his business in 2007, Tony was employed by the Institute of Nuclear Power Operations. You normally know it as INPO. From 1985 to 2007, INPO, sponsored by the commercial nuclear industry, is an independent nonprofit organization whose mission is to promote the highest level of safety and reliability in the operations of nuclear electric generating plants. While at IMPO, Tony developed his expertise in human and organizational performance, which has applicability to any human endeavor. He developed extensive guidance 
for the nuclear electric generating industry around the world, as well as the U.S. Department of Energy. Now, as you can see, Tony is an expert in human and organizational performance. And depending on who you talk to, they'll tell you that he's the grandfather or the godfather of human and organizational performance. So it is my honor and privilege to let you listen to the interview with Tony Mashera here on Safety FM. You are listening to a renowned safety expert, Dr. Jay Allen on Safety FM. Changing safety cultures. One broadcast and one podcast at a time. Join the fun on social media and find us on Facebook at Safety FM. So I guess I, I, I'll have to start off with the question that I like to ask most people. How did you get to this point in safety and what was the thoughts behind getting into human and organizational performance? Well, that's uh, you, you got some time. Of course. And that's the whole point, because everybody refers to you as the grandfather or they either call you the grandfather. They call you. Oh, my God. I can't even speak because I'm so nervous. Um, <laughs> the, the grandfather of this or they actually say that you are one of the creators of human and organizational performance. So well, I'm glad. First, yeah, let me say I'm glad you're you're using the phrase human and organizational performance uh, <clears throat> because, uh, you know, there's some people that like to call it human performance improvement which uh, which I'll talk about a little bit later but uh, but uh, you know, this is this is not trying to improve anybody it's about managing risk and that's that's what basically what I've come down to in my professional career anyway I guess uh, we ought to start uh, back in uh, in my uh, submarine service uh, I graduated uh, from the Naval Academy back in 75 and then spent the next seven years <clears throat> just under seven years uh, in the uh, 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 nuclear power submarine service, and uh, and obviously I had uh, Admiral Rickover had a, a huge impact on my thinking and the way I thought about operations. Uh, when I was on the submarine from '77 to 1980, uh, I qualified in submarines, obviously, and then also qualified as an engineer of naval nuclear propulsion systems. So, in a sense, you could say. I, that was my master's degree in mechanical engineering and and uh, and uh, nuclear power. But uh, as soon as I got off the boat, uh, I transferred uh, to submarine school in Grot, Connecticut, and uh, became a tactics simulator instructor. And it was during that time that I found out that I really enjoyed uh, uh, training and and, uh, and helping people understand concepts and practices. And, uh, and so uh, I, I resigned my commission in 1982 and then went to work for Westinghouse Electric as a simulator instructor. So I spent three years training nuclear power plant operators, uh, uh, preparing them for their senior reactor operator, reactor operator exams with the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. And uh, <clears throat> without really knowing it, when I was training operators, on it was down in Farley, Farley nuclear plant down in Dothan, Alabama, where I did most of my simulator training. But uh, uh, I was asking the operators, let's assume that all your your uh, your technical specifications and requirements were in total compliance. 
and I would challenge them. I say, is the nuclear core safe? And uh, I really didn't understand what I was asking, but I wanted them to think outside the box and think about what it took to maintain the safety of that reactor core. And uh, so that that mindset, that thought process went with me when I was hired by uh, INPO, the Institute of Nuclear Power Operations, back in 1985. And uh, I was hired to be a, a training evaluator <clears throat> as part of their plant evaluation teams. And I'm a, Jay, I'm assuming you, you know about INPO. Enough to get in trouble, or for maybe for some of the audience members that are not familiar with it, could you cover a little bit more with it? Yeah, well, you know, just we, just here a week or so ago, we just uh, uh, recognized or acknowledged the, uh, I guess it was, uh, oh, 30-year anniversary of thir- uh, Three Mile Island. Is that right? 79, 89, oh. 90, no, 40 mm-hmm. years. It's been 40. 40 years. So I was on the submarine in the North Atlantic when the fr- accident at Three Mile Island happened. <clears throat> and uh, shortly after that, uh, the commercial nuclear industry realized, hey, we need to uh, 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 operate, maintain, and design our, our power plants at a higher level uh, of, uh, of, of excellence. And that's when Impo was formed. It was, it was an industry's attempt to self-regulate. And uh, it's been successful over the years, and it has improve not only safety but also profitability and productivity of these nuclear power plants and so uh, i joined impo in 1985 roughly uh, uh, six years after its inception and uh, one of the causes of the accident at three mile island at least it was it was uh, advertised as a cause was human error operator error and, uh, and so one of the programs that IMPO had put in place was this uh, program called the Human Performance Enhancement System. And, uh, and so I heard about that when I first joined IMPO in 1985. Uh, IMPO hired me primarily to, to uh, because I was, a, I was a, a simulator instructor, I was hired to start the uh, IMPO simulator observation process, which was part of its plan evaluation um, um, process and uh, so I did that for 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 two to three years but during that time uh, I became interested in human performance which is what the HPES system was all about and uh, I don't know about you Jay but uh, I realized when I started digging into it uh, I realized this was a passion of mine for some reason uh, the good Lord gave me a, a, a morbid sense of interest in how people screw up. <laughs> <laughs> and so I just, I, it just sort of stuck. And I, I just started reading everything that I could get my hands on. And one of the first books I ever read about human performance was uh, Normal Accidents by Charles uh, Perrault, which got me thinking, you know, got me thinking about uh, 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 uh those concepts in organizational co- uh, context, and uh, so the uh, my my boss, you know, back in 1987, 1988, I thought it was a good idea for me to go to the human performance department, which is what they called it back then. And uh, so, you know, during that that uh, late 1980s, most of my time was spent doing HPES courses. 
And if you looked at it today, looked at the curriculum, it was mostly uh, mostly a root cause analysis approach. And they still thought that uh, um, human error was a cause. In fact, they wrote a white paper uh, uh, just before I joined the department that the causes of, of uh, minor events are the same as the causes of major events, and which is wrong. We thought that's been proven wrong. And, uh, and so they still thought human error was the, was the, was the common cause, so to speak. Now at that time, were you, did you believe that they were wrong in what they b- no, believe based no. on, the wh- on the white paper? No, I was still learning. I was, uh, okay. I was still drinking the Kool-Aid, so to speak. And, uh, and so, <clears throat> but I was reading a lot I, about that time, 1989, 1990, uh, James Reason's first book, uh, came out human error. And uh, it was uh, in that book that I learned about latent errors and the in the resident pathogens and, and uh, system failures, and uh, it started to click with me, especially after reading uh, Charles Perot's book. Uh, and so, but anyway, um, it, it, about that time, there was a report that we did. We did an analysis of the of the causes of events, significant events in the commercial nuclear industry. And uh, it had shifted from equipment being the primary cause to human performance being the primary cause. <clears throat> and uh, when they say human performance is a the cause, they're thinking human error. But uh, uh, Impo commissioned a special review committee back in 92, 93 timeframe. And, uh, and they submitted a report uh, just after that. And uh, I was, I was, I was no longer working in human performance. The, the, the human performance department had dissolved. And uh, so I was working in the shift supervisor professional development seminars. And, and uh, I, I developed the uh, maintenance professional development seminars. But I was doing human performance in a, in a collateral fashion. So I was working with this special review committee because it was a passion. I was, I was stuck. I, I knew where I was going professionally. Now, did the HP did the HP side dissolve for a reason, or was it was, was it a budgeting thing? The thought process was uh, by info management that uh, we had done all that training on HPES, so the industry had basically transferred the technology to the the, the commercial industry, and so they said, "Well, we no longer need the performance department." But uh, it was a year <laughs> it was a year after that that, that this analysis was done. And it and and uh, and Impo uh, executives and management realized, well, well, we got to re- rethink this, and uh, and so the special review committee, which was made up of uh, academics, and this was Aubrey Daniels was one of the members of that special review committee, uh, uh, and he was uh, well known at the time back in the '90s. That's when I met him, but. Uh, they uh, recommended that the industry look at human performance and be educated on human performance, and uh, and we did we we put together some working groups from the industry from various uh, levels in the uh, in the organizations. We we look, we've met with workers, we met with managers, uh, we met with supervisors and executives, and and uh, eventually out of that working group, uh, we came up with the excellence in human performance. Uh, or principles, uh, the principal series booklet called Excellence in Your Performance, which was published in 1997. So, and I had the honor of working with uh, our technical expert, who was Dr. James Reason. 
So, Doc, so James Reason was our technical expert for the development of the Excellence in Human Performance booklet and also our Human Performance Fundamentals course, which was an outgrowth of one of the recommendations of that special review committee uh, back in 94. So 97 is when we published the, the principles document. And then from uh, 97 through 2001, um, Tom Reeder, a good friend of mine, who, a colleague of mine there at Impo, he and I developed the Human Forms Fundamentals course, which really it, it was probably the, that in combination with the excellence document was probably the first uh, uh, foray in looking at human performance from a systems perspective. And uh, so we adopted that perspective uh, based on the recommendations of James Reason. And, uh, and we, we spent the next four, three, four years in a, in a roadshow kind of thing, uh, transferring that con- those concepts and educating management and middle line management on human performance fundamentals. Now, as you're bringing this information up to these midline managers and other managers, and you're telling them these concepts that you've come up with, what are they telling you at that time? Well, uh, there was pushback initially uh, because the industry didn't like the new terms. We had to come up with a new vocabulary, uh, and we had a glossary because we, we as an industry, did we were engineers. That was our mindset. Uh, as, as an industry uh, for 30, 30, 40 plus years. And now we're talking about human performance from a systems and organizational performance. Originally, we talked about latent organizational weaknesses. Uh, later on, I, I changed that to latent system weaknesses. But, but uh, we were talking about behavior and we were talking about error precursors or what I call error traps today. And uh, so there's a lot of new terms. And also, um, there was pushback against the idea that uh, human error was no longer considered a cause. And so most managers felt like, oh, you're just trying to take away accountability. And that's not what we were saying. We were basically saying that you've got to look at the whole system because people don't come to work with the purpose of failing. And so... I'm not, I'll be honest with you, I'm not sure the industry truly has learned that lesson at this point. I was going to say, I feel like we run into still some of the same issues today. Oh, it's, it's prevalent. It, and, I, and it's not just the nuclear industry. It's in, in, in fact, I'm working primarily with biotech these days. I've been working with biotech for the last six, seven years. And that, 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 that mentality is still uh, common among managers. So should I continue? Yeah, please do. Yeah. So, so basically, uh, you know, it, it was during this uh, human performance fundamentals course we did a pilot. So we did several pilots before we went uh, uh, final or uh, went uh, full tilt with the uh, human performance fundamentals course. That's where I met, met Rob Fisher. I met Rob Fisher at the at uh, Comanche Peak uh, in uh, Arkansas. He worked at South Texas Project at the time. And so uh, we became good friends. We've been good friends since then. And uh, and then uh, 2001 uh, is when we introduced. I, I went to the Idaho National Laboratory and introduced uh, our our approach to human performance to the Department of Energy. And that's where I met Earl Carnes, who's who's also who's now retired. I met uh, Shane Bush there, uh, Greg Weatherby, Ron Ferris. 
And I also met Todd Conklin, but I didn't meet Todd until about 2004 <clears throat> when he was visiting Info for one of those human performance fundamentals courses. But, uh, but to my chagrin, I, I was already thinking about this. Uh, the D Department of Energy decided to call their project or their program uh, uh, Human Performance Improvement. And uh, so I've, I've always pushed back with Earl Carnes on why he called it. Uh, H they call it HPI. So you may, in, some, in several other organizations outside of DOE, also call it HPI. But uh, it just per it perpetuates this idea that, uh, that we, we got to do something with this uh, frontline worker that's causing all these problems. But, I mean, uh, when, you, when, you hear, when you hear the title like that, do you still believe that to this day, if you don't use something like process improvement or use any kind of wording that might take it away from the safety aspect as a consultant? And when I know that I'm going a different route here at the moment, but as a consultant, you might have a little bit more difficulty going into an organization if you don't say improvement opposed to safety. Well, there's the word improvement, uh, regardless of the context in which you're using it, suggests there's something that's broken. And uh, that's not always true. It may be that one of the uh, key concepts that came out of resilience engineering uh, uh, research, which I really like, is this idea of emergence. And uh, just the way you organize and, uh, uh, and based on uh, human variability, you may have a, a, just a combination of unique situations that cause a problem. And you may not necessarily need to improve anything per se. But uh, uh, the, the, the idea of improvement sends an, uh, 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 a hidden message that uh, we need to fix something. And uh, I'm, what, what I've tried to do to, to overcome that mentality is look at human performance as a risk. Uh, similar to what the aviation, you know, James Reason basically says that the aviation community <clears throat> looks at human error just like they look at weather. It's just another hazard that you have to think about and, and manage just like, uh, you know, when, when pilots uh, uh, do their pre-flight uh, uh, planning and briefing, they, they talk about weather. Well, they also talk about, well, what, how can we make mistakes? What, you know, what, what are the critical phases of our operation that uh, we need to take special precautions uh, to uh, uh, pay extra attention, et cetera. So that's been my approach. And it seems to be, for me, it's been working. And we'll be back right after this here on Safety FM. We can all run into issues. Some issues we will discuss with friends and maybe family. But some items are so personal that we don't want to discuss with anyone and we just want to handle them ourselves. What issues am I talking about? I am talking about issues with credit. Imagine being able to work on your credit report from the comfort of your own home. No weird salesperson telling you to dispute everything. Just straightforward, no nonsense on what to do step-by-step step to work on your credit report. This is not just a credit education service, but it's also a community of other like-minded individuals having the same struggles. For more information, go to issueswithcredit.com. The Issues with Credit community will be with you every step of the way. Issueswithcredit.com, a 13th hour solution venture.
Are you tired of not being able to reach the people inside of your organization? What if there's a better approach? What if you could contact them in a click of a button? Here at Safety FM, we can assist you reach your team via podcast. How about setting up a private podcast for just you and your team members? We will cover topics that are important to you and your company. Visit safetyfm.com. That's safetyfm.com. And click on services for more information about your own private podcast. Safety FM, a safety-focused moment venture. And we are back with Tony Mashera on Safety FM. It seems like it's been working very well based on the information that I've been able to research about you. Now, after you get to meet Rob Fisher, Shane Bush, and you're in Idaho, what continues on next? Well, uh, you mean with DOE or with uh, the, uh, you know, my background? With a combination of both, because okay. right now you're, in, you're inside of the DOE is kind of where we left off, in, according right. to the story. And so all of a sudden, what, what's next steps? Well, what happened with me... Uh, and this comes back to DOE, uh, what happened with me is in 2003 and 2004, I went to uh, Tennessee Valley Authority uh, Nuclear uh, Utility and became their human performance manager. And so I was helping uh, their management and executive team understand and, and better manage uh, human performance at their, at their three nuclear stations, Browns Ferry, Sequoia, and Watts Bar. And uh, I'm glad I did that because it, it, it helped me realize that, uh, 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 well, h- here's the story that, that on the first day I was on at Browns Ferry, I went to the site vice president and uh, we had a sit down meeting and, and I wanted to understand his expectations for what he wanted me to do. And his immediate uh, 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 discussion centered around mechanical maintenance. The mechanical maintenance technicians and craftsmen, you know, they're, they're not pulling their weight. They're 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 a little sloppy. Uh, you know, let's see what you can do to help them. And so after about three or four months, I realized the problem's not with the workers. The problem's with managers. You know, fundamentally, the managers didn't understand how their systems influenced people's choices there out in the in the in the workplace. And so I, that was a key learning for me. And also, it was during this time where I started to. Uh, 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 hone the idea of critical steps and uh, we implemented critical steps at TVA and that was a successful tr- uh, uh, initiative and so uh, I learned a lot about that but then I came back to Impo in 04 and again that's when I met met Todd and then I got I, I realized there's a lot of things that the industry needs they need some how-tos and uh, managers need to come up to speed on on what they need to do I, I remember telling, uh, talked to one of my managers at Info, I said, you know, I'm telling the managers these principles and ideas, but uh, uh, they expect me to tell them what to do. (laughs) I figured if you just tell the managers, here are the concepts, they would figure out what to do, but they kept complaining about, you know, my plate's full, you know, tell me what to drop off, tell me what to do. So I went on a writing spree and it was during the you know, 2005 to 2007, I wrote several documents uh, for the nuclear industry. Uh, first was the human performance tools for workers. And then closely after that was human performance tools for engineers and other knowledge workers. <clears throat> and then finally, the human performance tools for managers and um, supervisors. And, it, and meanwhile, I also 
we also finally uh, published the Human Performance Reference Manual, which was more the, the foundational principles and concepts and fundamentals that went with uh, managing uh, uh, human performance. And so this is where DOE comes back into the into the flow of things. I met Earl Carnes back in 01, and it was about this time. And I've been becoming good friends with him. We would have you know frequent talks. But uh, Earl started uh, taking these these tools in this human performance reference manual. We also had a a, a training, you know, human performance fundamentals course reference that was really a, pr- a, pr- a predecessor of the reference manual. And and in 2009, uh, the DOE published their volume one and volume two of the DOE handbook. I think that was in 2009 to 20, 2010 thereabouts. <clears throat> and uh, and so. So I've, as soon as they published that, then the, 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 the documents at Impo were no longer private. It became public domain at that, at that point. But, now, as you look at that, that's three years after you've, that you've, you're, you're no longer with Impo. So you look at the majority of your work all of a sudden becoming public domain. What was your thoughts and feelings behind that? Oh, I was, I was all for it. Uh, I didn't want to keep it a secret. Uh, in fact, that's the... Uh, that was my approach to. Uh, in fact, that's my current approach to my uh, my consulting business today. I, it was in 2007, the end of 2007, 2008, when I decided to retire from Impo and uh, uh, strike out on my own, see see if this would work in the uh, in 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 other industries, and indeed it has, obviously. But uh, uh, and, and, and so it was with interest. You know, I kept I kept in touch with Earl, and uh, and so uh, I thought it was a good idea. Yeah. In, I, in fact, uh, I felt uh, 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 inhibited in, in using and re- referring to info documents, but now I can refer to a public domain document uh, that's that's published by uh, a U.S. government entity. So I didn't have a problem with that. <laughs> Now, at the time when you were writing all these, were you aware that this was going to be the plan in the long run where they were going to do a, a mass release to the general public? Or was it just really more private documents at the time? Well, we had an ongoing what they call a memorandum of agreement uh, between EMPO and the De- uh, Department of Energy. So I knew eventually you know, they were using our, our material. And I knew and an Earl and I had been talking to each other, and I knew eventually he wanted to do this, so it was not a surprise, and and I, I encouraged him to do it. So right now, I guess we're we're now, let's see, two. You said two thousand and seven. So two thousand and seven, you started your consultancy with Sure Error Management Consulting back in two thousand and eight. So right now, we're eleven years down the road as you being a consultant. Do you feel that you're still seeing some of the same questions from when you started? To where you are now in regards of human and organizational performance? Oh, absolutely. Um, it was. It, it might be worthwhile. I was. I can't remember where I read it, where I learned this, but typically, uh, you know, when academics and researchers identify new concepts and and uh, uh, new principles, uh, it generally takes 10, 15 years for it to reach common practice in the industry. And I've actually, I'm, I'm actually seeing that today. Uh, the, the the research on high reliability was was, I'd say, at its peak in the in the 90s uh, with Carlene Roberts and, and uh, 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 Carl White, Kathleen Sutcliffe, uh, and uh, 
and, and so the managing the the unexpected like our Carl Wyke and Kathleen Sutcliffe got published in 01 and then uh, and then the first resilience engineering book uh, was published by in 2006 and it was uh, edited by Eric Colnagel David David Woods and uh, uh, Nancy Levinson and, uh, and, and so that's 06 time frame so you know here we're we're it's taking about that much time. It's been about 13, 14 years uh, for that kind of technology to start reaching uh, commerce and, and reaching the marketplace. And so uh, there's still a, a great need for education and uh, uh, consulting in, in, in industry. So right now, even though I'm a one-man shop and I'm in business, uh, I don't fit in and there's quite a few folks out there who are doing business in this area i don't feel like they're competitors because the marketplace is so big and so uh so it's to me it's uh it's i uh it's uh what's the word i'm looking for it's 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 an open market right now so well, I, I find I kind I kind of find it interesting at this particular point because you still hear a lot of people reference to it as the new view of safety or safety differently or whatever terminology they want to use. And when you start thinking about how long it's been around, it's kind of amazing that it's taken this long to some extent for it to catch on. And everybody kind of wants to put their own little spin niche market marketing on it, depending on whatever you look at. But I look at the concepts and I go. The concepts are the concepts, and yeah, you might have to change a little bit of the wording um, for it to to be a little bit more understood throughout across it, depending on the industry. But I look at it and I go, what do you see that needs to improve from where you originally started off on to where they're at now in regards to these concepts that were put out back then? Well, it's still easy for managers. The, the first thought that comes to mind is still easy for managers to think the problem is the frontline workforce. Uh, yeah, I and I go back to Nancy Levinson. Nancy Levinson uh, 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 has been involved with the Resilience Engineering uh, Initiative, uh, and uh, in, in her approach to performance and safety has been more of a control orientation, and, and that's uh, and that has bought. I have bought into that, and I, I totally agree with her approach. It's really a physics problem. Safety is a physics problem. That uh, you know, you're working with a number of assets, things that are of value to an organization, and uh, and, and when you lose control of energy or the movement of mass or or even the transmission of information, if you lose control of it, you could cause harm to an asset. And that's been my approach, and uh, and most managers don't, you know, they're they're trained. Managers and technicians are trained to for the production side of the house, but there's very little training on how do we go about protecting uh, those things that are of value uh, to our organization long term. And so um, there's still a lot of. In fact, this is true in the in the in the healthcare industry. Uh, I, I got I got family members and friends who are nurses or work in the healthcare industry. And there is still, still very little uh, education associated with uh, with uh, uh, safety and human error management and the risk, the, the management of risk associated with those. And they don't think in terms of systems. So, 
uh, there's going to be uh, work for us consultants for quite a while, I believe. (laughs) It's funny that you mentioned that, especially in the medical field, because I was having a a pretty interesting talk with a very close friend of mine, and he was referencing that in particular about how the medical field seems to finally starting to start looking our general direction in regards of covering this information. So I always find it interesting on how some of the different industries are not aware of this. And then all of a sudden, once the door does open on how many people end up going through. Well, they're, they're starting to look at it and you know, I'm getting, I get calls from various organizations, like some of my, my colleagues uh, who I compete against, but we're still friends. But, uh, <laughs> but, but, uh, the, the issue is, is it, it's just it's not part of the uh, professional development, if you will, early on. In fact, it's it's not uh, it's not commonplace uh, in the uh, in the universities at this point. In fact, I you you I don't think you would find a uh, a, a major you know, a, a major at any university today that's focused on resilience engineering or high reliability. No, I, I don't think you can see find a lot of that if you go looking around. Now, you'll find some courses, quote unquote, in safety. Now, what I have found funny in regards to regards of high reliability and when you start talking into human and organizational performance, if you talk to some of the people that teach behavior based safety, oh, they'll yeah. turn around and start trying to tell you that human and organizational performance came out of behavior based safety. No, that's not true. <laughs> Oh, I've had I've had the, what we'll call the academics on or and what have the conversations with the quote unquote intellectuals where they have, you know, fought tooth and nail with me in regards of, no, this is where I came from. And then the people decided to go with human and organizational performance and run with it. And I'm like, hmm, interesting. Yeah, I don't I don't believe that. Uh, you know, I've been reading this about this, this technology ever since the since, you know, uh, normal accidents. I think that was. That man-made disasters. It was a book called Man-Made Disasters. I think that's one of the better uh, 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 books. Uh, you know, it's, it's an academic book, but it was you know, shortly before James Reason's uh, Human Error, and then and then Managing the Risk of Organizational Accidents came out in '97. Um, and by the way, I, I have to say this: this is a little bit of a footnote. It's a uh, an interesting uh, uh, piece of. Uh, information about my own development when i was working with dr james recent he talked to me about you know rule-based behavior and, and uh i got a footnote in his book <laughs> so so i got a footnote uh, when i talked to him about malicious compliance uh, we talked about malicious compliance uh, during his development of that book <laughs> but anyway no, and if you don't mind, can you go in a little bit into into that, into the malicious compliance portion? Excuse well, me, the, com- the malicious yeah. compliance, please. He was into. He was talking about the what I call performance modes, and uh, uh, the uh, um, all, all of a sudden I'm going brain dead here. But uh, it, it was the error management system he was putting together, and uh, rule based, skill based, rule based, and knowledge based performance. And he was breaking out rule-based performance in pretty good detail. And, uh, and in the nuclear industry, we had a couple of occasions where operators maliciously complied with the procedure. You know, do you follow the procedure as written or uh, do you do what's right, uh, given the, you know, the technical context of what, what the operation's involving? And, we've, we, and, they, and there was times when the managers at certain power station said follow the procedure follow the procedure follow the procedure and so that's what the operators did they followed the procedure and broke equipment and uh, they they didn't necessarily cause 
uh, core, they didn't cause core damage, but they got to the point where they were just maliciously complying with what the managers told them to do. And they knew the procedure was wrong. They did it anyway. And, 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 and that's something that um, Todd Conklin references is the black line, blue line in yes. regards of work imagine versus a work actually that's right. actually performed, right. which, I, which I find kind of interesting because there's a lot of us that still go through that. And I'm talking from a line level employee standpoint along the lines of you're trained on doing something this way. And then you'll have the worker turn around and tell you, but this is how we really do it. And right. that's the reality of most companies. And that's a that's, you know, that's a real important concept. Uh, this work as done versus work as imagined or work. Sometimes I refer to it as work as intended. Uh, and, and, uh, and that's an eye opener for a lot of managers, especially executives. You know, they don't realize it, it, especially in biotech. I've been working in biotech primarily for the last six years and, uh, they rely heavily on SOP standard operating procedures. And, uh, it, it's, it's, it, it's not unusual that the, the operator would encounter a situation while they're preparing a life-saving drug uh, that uh, things aren't as as uh, assumed by the procedure, and uh, and so they have to adapt and they have to do make an adjustment in what they're doing, and uh, and so it, it comes back to them sometimes when things don't quite go right when they were making an, uh, an adjustment that they get blamed for the outcome. And, Absolutely, uh, because the process is in place and they're supposed to follow along exactly yeah, how it's yeah. built out. So why have you decided to stay inside of the bio field opposed to jumping around to some of the other sectors that this information could be brought to? Because they keep calling me. <laughs> good reason. Very good reason. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, <laughs> and I'll be honest with you, you just, you just learned that my background is primarily nuclear power. But... It's interesting that biotech is not terribly different from a nuclear power plant. Uh, there's a lot of pipes, a lot of valves, a lot of pumps, a lot of instrumentation, and, and you have to gown up. <laughs> you have to gown up to go in and, and produce uh, uh, the, the drugs that, that biotech produces. You know, biotech primarily produces drugs that are injectable, uh, liquid, liquid form, not, not tablet form. And so, uh, so I've learned a lot uh, about the biotech industry, and uh, and it's uh, uh, it's very similar. So I feel comfortable in it. Nice. So let me ask a question about when we kind of get to 2017 here. So you decided to write a book called Risk-Based Thinking: Managing the Uncertain the Uncertainty of Human and Excuse me of Human Error in Operations. So did you feel that you needed to add some more information out there, opposed to just what you had put out previously? And what was the thought behind the book? Well, uh, I thought I started thinking about a book back in 03, 04, after my time at uh, at Tennessee Valley Authority, but that was way too early. Uh, I, I have to admit that my time consulting really helped me understand what the the true need was, um, and uh, it, the true need was a, a a book or a reference that managers could understand. Uh, my sense and my, my, my own understanding of the books that were out in the marketplace were primarily written by academics and for academics. And uh, too often they would use phrases and terminology that was uh, way above people's heads. 
and uh, and I real I felt like, the, and that's why my publisher thought that this was a good a good uh, a good risk for them, a, a financial risk, is the orientation of the book is for managers and executives, and so that's the that's the audience that I was trying I'm trying to reach with that book, and uh, and so it, apparently it's been somewhat successful. I just got my first uh, royalty check in the in the mail here uh, a couple of weeks ago, so. So that's a good thing. And you're, and you're, it sounds like you're smiling and laughing. So that sounds yeah. like a good sign then for sure. <laughs> that's a good thing. But, but, but so right now, what I do with my, my training that I do for my clients is I insist that the, that my, uh, my client, uh, purchase the books for their managers. And so we use that as like homework assignments to get, to help them understand here's what you can do. Here's the concepts. Here are the principles. But this goes back to what do I do as a manager or a supervisor to manage this risk in the workplace? And so are you having them do this as homework prior to your arrival or is this during and then post? Both and. Okay. Both and. And then I've heard this rumor and I have to ask you directly that you have the seven concepts related to human and organizational performance. Is that correct? You talking about the principles? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. I know that uh, Todd wrote just recently published a book on the five principles, and uh, Todd. Oh uh, yes, I won't sit here and brag and say that I did the audio editing of it, but you know that's neither here nor there. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, you know, I have to. And hopefully, you know, Todd and I are good friends, and I'm going to say something. I disagree with what he wrote in the book. Uh, but he concluded that the principles were written for the workers, and that's those principles were uh, actually written. You know, the five principles that we had at uh, back in '97, '98 were written for managers. Uh, that was with the input of James Reason. Uh, but the problem was, is the industry uh, 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 took it and tried to apply it to workers. In fact, my my thinking was that the DOE, the actual Department of Energy, applied it to workers and that was not the intent but that's that was the outcome but uh, yeah I I added see there was originally five and I came up with seven um, and, and uh, the evolution of it is uh, basically uh, uh, that first and foremost people uh, have dignity as human beings and I think managers sometimes lose sight of that 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 key principle and uh you know it it, too often managers uh uh, assume that uh, workers are a piece of equipment and are and they try to manage them like a piece of equipment and uh in 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 fact people and they and when people make mistakes they tend to treat them without dignity or disrespectfully and uh that's a key you know that's a key principle first and foremost in my approach to to human and organizational performance so and uh the other aspect was that i thought was important was uh is looking at this idea of emergence and i didn't want to use that word that's that's one of those ten dollar words and most managers would not understand this idea of emergence but uh i incorporated the idea that uh that systems drive performance you know systems in the way they're designed and the way they're operated will uh, influence the outcomes uh, of, uh, 
of the uh, performance of the organization, not just the workers. So, so yeah, I, I gave Todd that feedback. So he knows about this feedback. So <laughs> that's okay. You know, it, and I thought the, I thought his book was, uh, was very good. I enjoyed it. Not, uh, I, I finished reading it about a month ago. Well, like I always tell people, everybody's going to have some kind of different concept of what they believe oh, yeah. in. And what you're saying is, you know, that's what's, what was written at the time. And, you know, he has his own belief. And I always like to have different point of views on just for people to be able to have that discussion. Oh, they're and, complimentary. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I didn't see any any conflict between what he wrote and uh, as in terms of the principles and what, what I'm doing. The idea behind principles, I think it's important for managers to understand the principles. In fact, uh, before when I when I take on a, a client, I, I, I always start with a half day fundamentals. Here's what human and organizational performance is, and here are the principles. And uh, if you cannot buy into these principles, and I'm I'm emphatic, if you cannot, if if a manager cannot buy into the principles, he will ultimately be unsuccessful uh, in trying to make any headway with human and organizational performance. Now, have you stopped? Have you stopped some of your consulting jobs because oh, yeah. of having that that term right there referencing that? Does that end some of them? Well, because I know that not all companies are going to accept that. I've had I've had two companies uh, back away, and that's good. I'm, I'm, I didn't want to I didn't want to spend my time uh, transferring my. Ten- it, I would have gotten paid, but it would have been all for naught uh, for the organization. But uh, but I, what I found is is, is when the, you know, executives hear me say that that actually encourages them to to, to take it on. So it's been a, it, it it helps them understand that uh, I see human organization performance not as a program, but as a, a way of thinking, as a philosophy. And so it's important that managers understand these principles and integrate those principles into what they're already doing. And so I, I remember my first job, my first client was Westinghouse Electric back in, 0- in 07. And, oh, such, uh, a, such a small client, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and, and so uh, I was talking with one of the managers uh, with their uh, uh, the traveling maintenance teams between nuclear power plants. And, uh, and he just came right out and said to my face, you're just add, trying to add one more brick to my backpack. And I took that on. I said, no, we're not trying to add more work. You know, this is that idea of trying to manage what's on your plate. And uh, uh, so the idea was we don't have to change your workload. We just need to change the way you think about it. Let's integrate these ideas, not only at a working worker level, but also at a manager level and at a at a manager or at an organizational and system level. Yeah, and, and and so I adopted uh, the resilience engineering approach. You know, the uh, Eric Holnagel's research on the cornerstones, the four cornerstones of resilience, which is uh, anticipate, monitor, respond, and learn. Because I think that's easier for managers to comprehend. And uh, and so I, I I take that principle and you know you integrate those those uh, behaviors at all levels of an organization. Well, let me backtrack a little bit. You did say something when you turn around and you tell somebody who you're consulting with that this is a philosophy and it is not a program. How does that go normally? It, you know, they have to they have to think about it. The problem is, you know, it's easy for managers 
to write things down. And, and they think, in, especially in the biotech industry, they think they're highly regulated by the FDA, the Food, Food and Drug Administration. And so they think in terms of compliance. And so, so they have a tendency, they, the management and the executive leaders of these organizations, there's a tendency to try to put down uh, a, 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 a recipe. Here's all the things you have to do. And the presumption is, is once they have done all the requirements, there's a tendency to think, well, I'm safe. I can stop thinking about it. And uh, what I encourage the managers to realize is that safety is not something that you just you know, you, you, you comply with a checklist. Is it something you do moment by moment? And I use the example with managers. I use the example. Uh, I always ask the question, were you safe during your commute to work this morning? All right. Did you find And what's the response? Well, you, it, it, well, they're not sure how to answer it because <laughs> if they say yes, well, then they're admitting that they, they didn't make any, they didn't take any risk. But then if they say, no, well, you're here, you're in your seat, you must have been safe to get here. So they don't know how to answer the question. And, uh, the, and the issue is, is you can't put safety, uh, always put safety. You got to start with a design basis. You know, you, all, all facilities have a design basis and, and there are procedures. And there's certain things that absolutely have to go right all the time. But, but uh, things don't always go as intended or as imagined, and so you have to adapt. And so the same thing's true in your commute to work is when you get in your car and you back out of your driveway or take, you, you enter the, the transportation system, I would, I would venture to say that no, one, no two commutes are exactly the same. So you have to make adjustments uh, uh, every day. And that's the same thing that has to happen in an industrial operation. Absolutely. Now, one more question there. And when you turn around and you tell them about the not being the program piece, and all of a sudden they know now that they don't have a checklist, quote unquote, to do, or they don't have something that you're going to assign, quote unquote, to them prior to you moving forward on the next steps. What's the normal conversation afterwards? Um. Well, my my experience has been that they they, they accept that idea, uh, but it's it's I have to I have to address that on a more than once. I I use the word inculcate. <laughs> a lot of the managers don't understand inculcate, but the idea is uh, you have to to in, to embed an idea. You have to use repetition, and you repeat it again and again. So I when I do my courses for managers which is a, typically a, a two-day course, I'll, I'll talk about this idea of a philosophy, these principles, probably four or five times. You know, so I, I beat it. You could say I beat a dead horse, but by the time the, 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 the course is over, they understand that this is a way of thinking. Anticipate, monitor, respond, and learn is a way of thinking about, about their operation. And uh, what do they have to do? I, I always suggest that safety is what you do moment by moment. And people have to make choices. And so they have to, you know, they have to understand the technology. Uh, this comes in, and I emphasize this uh, technical expertise with the managers because uh, safety, 
is not going to be long term. It's not going to be you're not going to be safe long term unless the frontline workforce understand the technology. And this comes back from my submarine experience. And uh, Rick over was big, big about this is uh, the technical expertise of the of the uh, of the officers and sailors who operated those nuclear power plants because uh, you know, things break, things wear out and uh, you have to make adjustments. So so this goes hand in hand. This idea of a philosophy goes hand in hand with the uh, you know work as done versus work as imagined. And uh, and so I haven't had much pushback against that idea. It's a great idea. I don't think you should have a lot of pushback on it. No. Now, now, Tony, if people want more information about your work and they get some more information. Uh, primarily, uh, I have two websites. Uh, my business uh, website is uh, com, And if you want information about my book, there's a, uh, a website for the book called riskbasedthinking.com. All one word, no hyphens. So those are the primary uh, means of getting in touch with me. I well, Tony, I, I, Tony, I appreciate you actually taking the time to do this for me. I it was it was a great conversation. I would love to have you on once again if you would be willing to do so. All right. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen. SafetyFM.com So do you feel like you're missing out on what everyone is starting to do now, that live streaming thing, and you don't know where to start or what to do? I have the resource and the information to provide to you in regards on how you can stream onto 40 social media platforms all at one time. Yes, that's 40-40 social media platforms all at one time. All you'll need to do is go to safetyfm.com forward slash one. That's safetyfm.com forward slash one. That's O-N-E. So just in case. And you'll be able to start live streaming just like you're hearing people starting to do right now up to 40 social media platforms.